I so appreciate Silas and Matt and Kat. I, worship is important, but it has to be focused on him. It's not uh, a, a worship for us. It's not for our edification. It's for God's edification. And the songs that, that Silas picks are so reverent to, to the Lord. I just really appreciate it. Um, and so today we're going to kind of focus on why we would even worship him. And it starts with instructions of God in 1 John 3, 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Or behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Um, so we're going to follow this command. If we're instructed by God to behold how much he loves you, then that's what we're going to do today. We're going to behold his love. Now, last week we talked about, if you look at 1 John 2.20, it says, Be, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. In verse 27 of 1 John 2, it says, you have an anointing which you have received from him who abides in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. So we talked last week about this anointing from God is the miraculous knowledge that the gospel is true. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And God sent his son to die on the cross. And that whoever uh, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that he's risen from the dead, they will be saved. You know that because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. So today we want to ask you the second question. Do you know that God loves you? And sometimes that's a hard thing to grasp. When you look in the mirror and you see something disappointing to your own eyes, or you are having trouble with finding love in the world from parents, spouse, friends, family, and you can feel as if God is distant or you might feel as if you don't deserve the love of God um, and we want you to behold today that God loves you and if you do not feel loved today because of things going on in your life we want you to leave knowing this for sure that God loves you I'm going to share a statement with you this during the message today I'll, you'll know it when I get to it but it's a little thing that uh, Pastor Rick Reagan from Planada mentioned to me this week, and it's changed my perspective. It's been a, a, a it just changed my perspective on some things. But let's take the verses in God's Word to confirm His love for us. In fact, we have verses all through it that confirm it. Uh, John three sixteen. Do we know that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If if we were doing this right, we would just leave right now. Because how else, what more could we teach? God so loved you that he sent his only son. And we had communion last week and thought about the broken body and the shed blood. Romans 5.8 says what? But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. And this is the statement that Pastor Rick made to me this week. We were both talking about pastoring. We meet every Tuesday and try to walk through this world of being a pastor. And we were talking about our human side. And he said something that was so... And he wasn't saying it to me. He was saying it about himself. He says, um, well... These are, we talked about the little flaws that we have that make it a struggle to in, in pastoring and being husbands and fathers. And he says, God knew what he was getting when he saved me. Isn't that pretty good? There's truth to that. And it really struck me that when God called me to be pastor or saved my soul or, or, or brought me into his fold, he knew exactly who he was bringing in long before. And so when I looked in the mirror, and we were talking about it because sometimes I feel like I disappoint God. you ever feel that way? That God is disappointed with you? That you're not the person that, and that maybe God regrets even calling you? That one statement changed that perspective. God already knew what he was getting. And God died for me while I was still a what? That's love. The Bible says, you know, dying for a good man is honorable, but God demonstrates his love for you that while you were a sinner, I paid for those sins and died on that cross. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Say that with me. God is love. Um, there is a word for love in the Bible that is agape. There's a lot of different words for, for love. Sometimes in the word love in the Bible, it is phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia from. And Philadelphia is a city of what? brotherly love. In fact, do you remember the, the interaction between Jesus and Peter when he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know I love you? It's actually in that, that interaction God says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Which means to love unconditionally. God, only that is connected to God. And he says to Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I love you like a brother. And he asked him again, no, Peter, do you agape me? He says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Peter hesitated. Why? Well, he had just denied God three times. He was dealing with his pride problem. So then the third time Jesus asked him the question, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? And God went down to where he was. God agapes you. It doesn't matter what you do. He loves you. Because God is agape. God is unconditional love. That you will never ever get from a human being. It only comes from God. Because God is love. 
I've been teaching junior high for 25 years. I love teaching junior high, but nothing bothers me more, frustrates me more as a junior high Bible teacher than when they couple up. I hate it. Oh, but Miss Flanagan, I, I really love her. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You're 12. You don't. <laughs> And you say to me, you say, oh, Pastor John, you don't understand. Yeah, no, they don't. They, uh, 30 years. I've never seen a junior high couple last. Because love is God. And you can never really properly love anyone until you know the love of God. It's, it, God is love. Look what it says in verse 9. In this is the love of God. Was in this the love of God was manifested towards us. The word manifested is a word for revealed. So here's how God revealed this love towards us. That he, God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Does that sound familiar? It's John 3.16 again. So the Bible over and over again says, look at If you want to know how much God loves you, look at Jesus. If Jesus dying on the cross for you is not enough for you to be convinced God loves you, nothing I say in the next 20 minutes is going to change it. What else do we need? There's no greater love than this than a man laid down his life for a friend. It's the greatest act of love is to give your life for another human being. Only one person's ever done that for me. That's Jesus. Look at verse 10, 1 John 4. In this is love. Not that we loved God. If you love God, would you say amen? amen? So what? What's not to love, right? I, I'm, I just want you to know that I, John Flanagan, love God. So you can pat me on the back because I love God. You love the one who created you, the one who gave you breath, the one who gives you food from the ground, the one who heals your diseases, the one who who sent his only son to die on the cross that you would not have to go to hell because we rejected him. And his response to our rejection was not to reject us, but to take his only begotten son, have him nailed to a, tr a cross, beaten, uh, despised, crown of thorns. And do we say, yeah, he's all right. God says, I wish you would, would love me or hate me. But because you're lukewarm, I want to what? To, to look at Jesus Christ and what he did and how he showed his love for us and go, yeah, he's all right. Church is okay. God's all right. I read the Bible once in a while. God says, makes me sick to my stomach. Revelation 3. Because of what I did for you, I gave my son to be beaten. You know, I am a average or below average father. But my kids cannot do anything to cause me to not love them. I am incapable of not loving my kids. I, I'm fully capable of not loving your kids. <laughs> Mr. Teal. <laughs> but I am incapable of not loving my children. And God is not 
human. How much he loves you is beyond. So I want you to think for a second how much you love your kids. God loves you innumerable amount more. Innumerable amount more. The Bible says a father, what kind of father would give a stone to a son who would ask for bread? And he says, if your earthly fathers show that much love to you, how much more is your heavenly agape father going to show for you? In this is love, not that we love God, because there's nothing not to love, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the full payment for our sins. Love is not us loving God and loving one another. That's fine. God said, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus, what is the greatest of all commandments? What was it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. But the real true love is the fact that God loves us who constantly, constantly struggle with whether or not we love him or not. Whether we want to obey him. Whether we really care about him. And we got all kinds of problems and all kinds of rebelliousness and all kinds of sin. And God says, I love you anyway. And yet we turn to God and say, oh, God, why, what are you going to do for me? Lord, I've just been praying and I just I didn't get this job. I didn't get this. And why is this happening? God, why is this happening to me? And God says, do you remember? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Does anybody know what the circumstances behind that verse is? All right. Lazarus had died. And the reason Lazarus had died is so God, through Jesus Christ, could show his miraculous deity by raising this man from the dead. And so Jesus came and they said, Lazarus, your your friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, it's not unto death. It's going to be fine. And he waited a couple days and they died. Lazarus died and they buried him in this tomb. And three days later, Jesus came and the sisters ran to him and said, What? If only you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he says, Don't worry about it. I'm the resurrection and the life. He's going to raise from the dead. And they said, Oh, I know he's going to raise in the last day. He says, No, he's going to raise right now. That's why I'm here. And they got to the other sister and she said the same thing. And she said, where did you lay him? And they went to the tomb and everybody said, oh, they wept and they cried because he was going to the tomb. And Jesus wept, not because of Lazarus' death, because he knew who was going to raise him from the dead. He wept because he kept telling them over and over again, I am going to raise him from the dead. This is for the glory of God. And they didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. They blamed him and they were unnecessarily depressed and Jesus wept Jesus sends his only begotten son to die for you Jesus guarantees you that you'll never be plucked from his hand Jesus guarantees you eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and we say oh God why is my life nothing ever works out for me nothing ever goes good for me and by the way I'm not mocking you. I'm quoting myself. And it is, I just think it makes him sick to his stomach because it's a lukewarm attitude towards a God that gave us everything. How much more can he love us? 
And I, I picture myself in that same mode of Lazarus and Jesus looking around saying, this is going to be the most awesome thing you've ever seen. And they just cried. Jesus told them over and over again, I will rise again on the third day. Did they run to the tomb? They stayed up and they wept and they feared and they cried over the loss. And this is the mode we get into. This is love. Not that we love God, that's easy, but that he loves us even though we are constantly doubting him, turning away from him, blaming him, and not sharing him. And he says, I still love you. I still love you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4. There are some familiar verses in here, but we're going to look at verses that are not. Verse 4 says this. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting a punishment that you deserve. When you throw yourself on the mercy of the court, you don't want to be punished. That is mercy. God is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. The more love you have for someone, the more mercy you have for that person. I've been a teacher a long time, and I will tell you that there are some students that can get away with some things. And some students who have a short leash. That's the humanity of teaching. If you like a student, they tend to get away with things. Does that make sense? It it is our human nature. God is rich in mercy. He loves you as if you're his favorite. You ever feel like you're God's favorite? I, I don't understand how God has time for you. He's so busy handling my problems. And I'm, I'm constantly taking up his time. And I feel like it's just him and I. You ever feel that way? It's amazing how God does that. His mercy is great with which he what? Loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what's grace? Grace is a gift or unmerited favor. It's being given something you don't deserve. I deserve hell because of my sin. The wages of sin is death. I deserve it. God says, no, I'm going to to send my son to pay for those sins. And if you trust in him, you will not go to hell. And I've trusted in Jesus Christ. So by God's mercy, I will not face the punishment of hell. But then God says, but what I'm going to give you is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. I don't deserve mansion in heaven. I don't deserve a new name Larry talked about in Sunday school today. I don't deserve my sins to be washed away. I would be okay if God just said, okay, John, I save you from your sins. You don't have to go to hell. And when you die, you'll just poof into non-existence. But you won't suffer. That would be enough, wouldn't it? But God says no. 
It's like you robbed a bank and stole a million dollars. And you went to the court, and the judge said, you know what? I'm going to show you mercy, and I'm going to let you go and not charge you with this crime. Thank you, judge. Oh, and by the way, you can keep the million dollars. That's grace. That's what God did for me. Took away the punishment and then rewarded me as if I earned it. And God says, look, at I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And only God can raise the dead. No one seeketh after God. I didn't go looking for him. He found me. And when I heard the shepherd's voice, I knew him. Because I was predestined to be a sheep. And he raised me from the dead by grace. He raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places. What are we doing in heavenly places? It's where you're going. Why? That's love. That in ages to come he might show us exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. And cry, I'm going to be so kind to you. I'm going to be so loving to you. You're, not, you're going to be shocked when you get to heaven. The Bible says that the, the sufferings of this world can't even be compared with what God has prepared for us. You're going to be shocked. And you're going to, uh, I, I, I don't think anybody gets to heaven and goes, this is it? Uh, I did all that for you? This is what I get? I think we're going to go there with an initial regret of what we should have done. Because it's so undeserved what he's given to us. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. And if you think for one second that you deserve God's love. You'll never understand the immensity of God's love. Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. And that word wretch, that is the description of us. I know in 2020, you're not supposed to, to, to it's politically incorrect to call ourselves a wretch. I know I heard a singer at a funeral sing Amazing Grace, and they say, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves someone like me. Because in her mind, it was, no, we're supposed to build ourselves up, not call us wretches. We're wretches. We understand that, right? All of our righteousness is compared in the Bible to what? Filthy rags. And yet God says, that's so, I still love you. I love you. But if we think we deserve God's love, then we lose the immensity of God's love. Does that make sense to everyone here? We are undeserving of God's attention, of his love, of his care. And yet, he says, I'll show you how much I love you anyway. I'm going to take the most precious thing, my only begotten son, sinless, and I'm going to let you beat him. I'm going to let you spit on him. I'm going to let you scourge him. I'm going to let you mock him. And then for the next 2,000 years, he's going to continually be mocked, blamed, ignored, and spit upon again. And I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to love you. How can that be? But it's the truth. Behold the love of God. Back in 1 John chapter 3. 
It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And then it says that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. You want to know how much God loves you? He calls you His child. Turn to uh, Galatians chapter 4. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses on this idea of adoption. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Larry read some of these verses this morning about Abba Father and and being adopted. Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, what's an heir? H-E-I-R. Now, there is, and I don't want, I I might mess up this illustration. It it is important to me because it helps me. If I mess it up, I apologize. But there's a great difference between being a foster child and being adopted into a family. Foster care is incredible. I know some people involved in it. But that the people involved with foster care that I know, they struggle with it because they really don't have control over being able to keep the child or the child taken away from them. And the child doesn't get their name. And the child doesn't become part of the inheritance of the family. And many times when you take in a foster child, somebody is paying you to help you with that foster child. When you adopt the child, then you become fully responsible for that child. They take your name and they become an heir to your family. They're part of the family. It's a great difference. Many of us treat God as if we're his foster children. And we feel like leaving we just leave you're not God's foster child you have been adopted look what these verses say now I say that the heir as long as he's a child does not differ from a slave though he's master of all so if I'm a kid but I'm going to inherit this whole palace someday um, and I'm playing with my butler's kids we're just kids but there's something coming in the future that I get that the slave doesn't. We have not inherited our riches yet. Do you understand that? So if you're complaining that your Christian life didn't turn out how you thought it was going to turn out, wait. <laughs> your, your mansion's coming. Your new body's coming. Your heaven is coming. And he says, look, Verse 2, under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we were bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent His only Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, He has sent forth the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir of God through Christ. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them gave him the right to be called the children of God. If you are a Christian, you are a child of God, adopted, an heir to the riches of heaven through Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves you. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. A couple more verses. Romans 8, verse 14. As many of us as are led, Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but receive the spirit of adoption, whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness that our spirit, in our spirit, that we are the children of God. So what these verses, both of these verses are talking about is this idea of the spirit of Abba, Father. So what does the word Abba mean? It's a, a, a it's an interesting word. Um, it 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 is more closely translated in our English language to the word daddy. And it's basically the word of a young child. And, and when you're two and three, your parents are so grand in your eyes. As you get a little older, you get a little more rebellious. You really don't kind of need them anymore. But when you're little and you, you say daddy, mommy, dad. And so we get this gift of God through the Holy Spirit to know that you're loved. And if you don't have that, you need to ask God for it. You need to draw close to God through prayer, through studying the Bible, fellowship with other believers, read these verses and scriptures and see how much God loves you. Verse 17 says, if this is an incredible verse, Romans 8, 17 if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Can you play that with me? Joint heirs with Christ. Ready, begin. Joint heirs with Christ. Think of for a second. I'm going to take a drink of water. I want you to think about what that means. Joint heirs with Christ. What does joint mean? Together. We have equal inheritance with Christ. We are the children of God. Now, Jesus is his only begotten son. But we are all his adopted children through love and through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And so now we will rule and reign and be joint heirs with Christ. Do we deserve that? Not even close. Verse 18 says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories that will be revealed in us. So behold God's love. Number two, behold your father. He is your father. I know that word has different meanings to us. When I say father, you are going to think of your earthly father. You have to go beyond that. Because earthly fathers are not close to perfect. We make thousands of mistakes but your heavenly father is nothing like it 
We are joint heirs with Christ. Keep your finger in Romans 8. Go back to 1 John chapter 3. And let's finish up this verse. Because there's something else God wants you to behold. The beginning, the middle of verse 2. Let's read verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall what? Be like him. For we shall see him as he is. God loves you so much he sent his only begotten son. He loves you so much that he's adopted you to be a joint heir with his son. And he loves you so much that he is going to change you to become just like him. How in the world is that going to work? How? I know, I believe we'll recognize our loved ones in heaven. Don't you believe that? But I don't know how you're going to recognize me. If God removes my sin completely, I don't even know how you'll know who I am. I'm going to be a completely different person. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 28. You know this verse. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, why do all things work together for good? By the way, your life may not work together for good till you die. And then everything's good. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God knew you way before the foundations of the earth. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. He woke you up from your trespasses and sin, revealed to you that God's own son died for you. And through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 1 John 2.20, he revealed to you that he was real. And you followed him because he drew you to follow him. And then he gave you a destiny. Did you know you have a destiny? This is just like uh, Lord of the Rings. You're on your way, except this is true. You're on your way on a pilgrimage and a journey towards your eternal destiny. You're not there yet. And on the way, there's going to be trials, tribulations, blessings, and wonders. But look what it says. Whom he foreknew, knew you before, he predestined. Your destiny is already set in stone. What's your destiny? To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So that's your destiny. To be in heaven and be like Christ. You're not there yet. You're not there yet. Moreover, whom he predestined, he called. Who he called, he justified. What's the word justified means? Just as if you'd never sinned. Your sins are washed away. Whom he justified, he also glorified. So here's the the process. I am dead in my trespasses and sin. God reveals to me this idea that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Through the Holy Spirit... I recognize my need to ask God to forgive me of my sins. And he forgives me of my sins and justifies me immediately, washes my sins away. And now I'm on this journey of what's called sanctification in which every day I'm trying to be more like Jesus. 
through the study of the Bible, through going to church, through fellowshipping with believers. I'm trying to become more and more usable and better for Jesus until I die or he returns and I am absent from the body, present with the Lord in my glorified body. That's the journey. That's how much he loves you. That's your destiny. And if you mess up along the way, he still loves you. And you're still guaranteed for that glory in heaven. Verse 32, or verse 31 says, What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer the question. If you got God on your side, then who's going to come and tear your life apart? No one. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. See, God washed my sins away through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Satan comes and says, uh, God, this Flanagan over here, this Job over here, yeah, if you did this, he'd curse you to your face. If you would do this, he'd curse you to your face. And God says, I'm the one who washed his sins away. How can you tell me he's not saved? How can you tell me he's not clean? Don't call anything unclean that I call clean. And then what he told Peter, guess what God calls you if you're a Christian today? Clean. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore rose from the dead, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Look at verse 37. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers or things present or things to come, height or depth, or any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. So, if you go through that list, you have death or life. Neither of those two things can separate you from God's love. Okay? If you're not, if you're dead or alive, God loves you. If you're one of something else, not dead or alive, then it's possible God doesn't love you. But if you are here today, either dead or alive, you are loved by God. Uh, angels or principalities or powers. That's angels, devils, and those around you. They can't separate you from God's love. Nor things present, nor things to come. So nothing that exists today or is going to ever exist will be able to separate you from God's love. Nor height or depth or any created thing which includes yourself. You cannot separate yourself from God's love. And if you want to walk away and go in the pigsty like the prodigal son, the, the calf is still waiting for you. You will come home. And no one will pluck you out of the Father's hand. You know why? Because He loves you. He just loves you. There's nothing my kids can do to cause me to not love them. Nothing. And I'm a sinful father. How much more does your Heavenly Father love you? You're going to have to get over it. God loves you. I know we like to play this, this game sometimes that we're not loved and nobody cares about me. Y 
you're, that might be true in the human world. But when it comes to God, it is a lie. He loves you. And your response to that should be to love him back and to love who he created and share him with them. Does that make sense? That's next week's uh, message. Um, so we're going to pray, and I'm going to have the worship team come, and we're going to uh, close with holy, holy. Uh, so Matt and Silas and Kat, if you come at this time. Heavenly Father, as we go to worship you, and we sing the words holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, uh, it is that holy God that has deemed us saved, justified. It's that holy God that sent his only begotten son to die for us. And Lord, as we sing this, this chorus this morning to close, uh, let it have meaning. Let it have understanding. And Heavenly Father, if anybody here still doubts your love for them, uh, Lord, it's going to affect them the rest of their lives. They have to accept it. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Our heads close our eyes as we close our service today. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And sometimes when things don't go right in our life, we, we mistake these things for God not loving us or being mad at us. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God wants the best for you. And if you're going the wrong direction or doing the wrong things that could cause your life to not go well, he'll give you those trials and challenges, just like he did with Job, to bring Job to a greater understanding of the love of God. This psalm we're just saying, it really has meaning when you recognize how much God loves you. So today, he sent his only begotten son. Know that. He wants to adopt you and guarantee you a destiny of, of a glorified eternal life in heaven. Nothing can separate that. Satan will do everything to convince you he doesn't. The first thing he did to Eve was say, did God really say? And you're going to be have doubts come into your mind. Well, does God really love you? That can't be true. Well, if he loved you, then we could just do anything. All of these doubts, once you grasp the love of God, there's nothing more he can do to show you. He's done all that a person can do. So if you've not ever given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to save you today. If you still doubt God's love for you, ask him to show you. And, and settle in your heart. And if things aren't going well for you, and you're it, it, you're doubting God, you need to stop. Stop doubting Him. Cry out to Him. Thank Him for what He's done for you. Quit complaining and murmuring about what He's not done for you, and focus on what He has done for you. It'll make you a more respectful, a happier, more content person. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us never to take for granted what you've already done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.